0: Hi, it's Wednesday afternoon and um, I'm going to do the Parsha Korach which is the most famous of all Darshan Parsha's. This is being sponsored by Mr. and Mrs. Lou Goldberg. I actually had the pleasure of running into them <laughs> I met them before in person. Yesterday was it or two days ago at the JCC? So, um, and they've been uh, sponsored in piss and thank you very much for your support. Thank you for your support. Um, I would, uh, Everybody knows Korach, so let's jump right into it with both feet. The um, I, I'll tell you where I'm coming. You know, uh, there's a whole debate as we've discussed before: was the Mishkan a good idea or a bad idea? In other words, was the Chachil a bad idea? Was the Mishnah a response to the Golden Calf? I'm, I mean, the Mishkan was the Mishkan a response to the Golden Calf, or was it an idea on its own? There are arguments on both sides. There are schools of thought in Chazal on both sides, as I think you're aware. Um, you know, one way of reading it is it's only the only one in Mishkan after the Iglazov as a sort of a, you know, a, a counter to it. Um, the other one is, no, the Mishkan represents a sublime idea. I was uh, Believe me, if uh, if you go by uh, what I was saying yesterday, the uh, Summon Bonum, the Ramach, uh, Cordovir, and the others, there are whole departments in heaven called Mishkans. Actually, it's in the Gemara. In that would come from a school of thought which says the Mishkan downstairs is a, represent, a representation of the Mishkan upstairs, and that's a, a supremely sublime uh, idea. Uh, but then again, there's the other side which says the Mishkan was a B'deevet. Now, Parshish Karach is an argument in favor of the Mishkan was a B'deevet. Now, why do I say that? Because um, Karach, of course, we know is a fascinating story on many levels. And I can't remember what I said in the past, but I must have talked about the basic psychological factors to it. So you listen to the old stuff. I'm, it's got to be there. But uh, uh, just consider this. What's more important, guilt or covet? <laughs> Is it more important, money or covet? Uh, Korach could financially wipe the floor with Moshe Aron. He's supposed to be vastly wealthy. Moshe I Amina mean, was not particularly wealthy. Aaron was not particularly wealthy. Right? Karach was. However, he got the stories, how he got the money, we'll never know. I mean, it's possible he found these Eiterists, like the Medu says. It's also possible he was a very good wheeler and dealer. As is going to happen among 600,000 Jews, you'll find a couple of Karachs. And when everybody left Egypt, ungushed up with Geld, you know, by the time the process was over, Karach had the money. You know, He sold them all a lot of swamp land you know, futures in, uh, in uh, some future uh, real estate development. Vesachnish. But, um, but he ended up with the guilt. So that wasn't enough. Why didn't Karak simply say like this? I can buy and sell Moshe and Aaron 100 times, which was true. I don't need the titles, but you see it's not like that. There's two types of rich people out there, or at least two types. One is the one who says like this, the COVID, have the money in the bank, you know? I don't have to, uh, I can do whatever I want. Uh, when you richly think you really know, you know, I can do whatever I want. And I have financial security for myself and my family. And and then some. And I don't need shlishy. <laughs> you know, I don't need shishi. Right? I don't need a fancy chair. The reality of power is what is important to me. Not the public manifestation of power. But then you got the other kind of richy, rich person who said like this, what's the point of the guilt if you don't get the covet? <laughs> right? I want a shtickle covet. In fact, I want more than a stick. I want a big club show, you know. And obviously that's what Korach was. Because money he had. And he wasn't thinking in the following terms. I'll hold on to the money until when I get to Israel. And then give me a few years, I'll buy up the whole business. And I'll be the top dog then. Well, maybe if you go like those who say that this parasha happened after the Meraglim, that might be what stirred up Korach. Maybe he was figuring, listen, Moshe is Moshe, but when we get to Israel, and there'll be a permanent settlement, and then I'll be able to, you know, operate on the market, in the real estate market, and next thing you know, I, you know, I, I, I'll own everything. Maybe not till Yogel, but you want to know something, get to Haneid, so we'll figure a way around Yobel also. And, you know, get a right lawyer, and figure a way around Yobo. The point is, that um, once he found out that they're all going to die in the desert, so then, you know, that that, that that messed up his plans, and he said, I want to cover it now. That's one possible way of reading it. There's a lot of ways of reading this parasha, because we don't know that much about it. It's all speculative. After the chazal of all these midrashim, remember, Korach doesn't say anything in the parsha. There's no such words as Vayim or Korach. at least I don't, I don't think so. Vayidab or Korach. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's it's not there. Which is itself an interesting uh, uh, point to note. Now, um, so he was, the guilt he had, but he wanted the cover also. What kind of cover did he want? The answer is he wanted Aaron's job, right? Or like and Ben Parnak, whatever. None of this would exist had there not been a Mishkan. In other words, one of the downsides of any religious institution, especially a base of Megdusha Mishkan, and this is a lesson that Jewish history demonstrated, very sadly. Is that as soon as you got a, an institution, a religious institution, which includes in it uh, uh, money and, and covet, you're going to attract the unworthy types like flies, because people want their money in the covet. I mean, that, you know, that's how they, that's how they're, you know, and that's how they're operating. You understand? That that's how they're operating. They want the money in the covet. And in point of actual fact, you know and I know what happened in Bayes Rishon, and certainly in Bayes Shani, the Kohanim weren't that great, with some exceptions. But that's a sad statement I just made, with some exceptions. It should be the other way around. The Kohanim were all great, with some exceptions. But again, you should say, right? The Kohanim, you know, by the time you get to late Bayes Shani, it's a purely mumming. And even by bias reason, if you start, you know, going down to it, how many Kohanim were good, how many were bad, you know, Ochaz and the guy who built a, a, a phony altar, they were, they were probably, read the book of Yechez, I mean, you know, there's what to talk about. And, I mean, you don't have to go farther than Chafni and Penchas. So, unfortunately, as soon as you set up a, an exact, you know, a, a hierarchical structure, a ceremonial structure, and I mean that literally and in the figurative sense, the literal sense he built a Mishkan and later a base of Migdash. And in the figurative sense that there is a pecking order and only a coming can perform the avoda and only a levy can do this and all that stuff. So this attracted people who wanted to covet and that's why Korak made the whole rebellion. Right? You know, he wanted Aaron's job. So in other words, had there not been a base of Migdash and not been a Mishkan, Karaq wouldn't be able to say, I want the job iron. There was no job like that. Matter of fact, if you look in the Darvish Roshonim, um, you know, the Victor Miller book, uh, which translates Darvish Hashanah, because most of you won't be able to read the Darvish Hashanah in Hebrew, but if you look at the English one with Rabbi Victor Miller's, I think it's called Toronation, you'll see a famous vort that I've quoted a number of times. And that is that um, whereas in the time of the Bayashani, Second Temple, you had all these different sects, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the you know the byssusim and all this other stuff. When um, the temple was destroyed, you don't hear about them anymore in Jewish history. In other words, read Josephus, and you'll find the whole cast of characters concerning the politics in Israel, especially when Israel became an independent country after the Maccabean revolt, and the dominance of the Sadducees, for example and different sectarian groups, and then the Herodians, and the Romans, and all this. And then, after the year 70, when base is destroyed, and Jerusalem is flattened, you don't hear about these guys anymore. Instead, you hear about rabbis, the Tanaim, and all that. And what happened? And the Derser Shem suggests that uh, you know, once there's no Basemik, and once there's no treasury, and once there was no Jerusalem, and there was no kind of uh, institutional framework that someone should politically strive to be the head of, these guys left the scene, they totally assimilated the Roman, or something like that. You understand? So an institution can be a good thing, but an institution can also uh, attract the un- the ambitions of the unworthy. And that's what happened over here, because compared to Aaron, Karach was unworthy. Matter of fact, we'll never know, was Karach bad from the beginning, or did it become bad, result of, you know, over the course of time. But, as you know, in this week's Parsha, especially if we go with Rashi and the Chazal, Karach said, it's not true, God spoke to you. Even though the Rambam said it's impossible to deny that when you saw Mimer and but the is not right. You see, Karach said, denied it. Ah, you'll tell me, how can you do that? Like I said many times, my father used to say, you can't say anymore, ain't on a maze, pun of (laughs) People do. (laughs) You see? They do. And uh, Karech had no hesitation in doing this. Now, therefore, Uh, the Korach business had to do as I said before with a spin that's put on the Mishkan and authority in general. I don't know if I said it here last week or somewhere else but these parts of Shlach and Korach show you the unbelievable power of spin control where you can take something and how you twist it it defeats the concept of objective facts. And if I mentioned here, when the corona was raging, my wife said, "Like, guess I hope the person who finds a cure for it will be Jewish or Israeli or something like that. And she meant that the world will be grateful that the Jews found the solution to the corona. But I said, baloney. All they have to do is say like this. They'll make this up. They'll say, the Jews created it, and then they made a cure for it so they could make money on both ends or something like that. In other words, whatever you do, that's not what counts. It's how you interpret it. It's the spin you put on it. In uh, the Yiddish, there's a a joke that goes um, that there was a poor man in a European village, and he's saying of Menolon, we're starving. There's no food for Shabbos, something like that. This is the story, and it just happened to be, as a piece of good luck, who was driving by in the carriage Rothschild. He happened to hear the guy screaming, "I'm no money, we're starving," and so Rothschild figured today he'll do a he'll do a favor, and he got out of the carriage and knocked on the door, and the guy came to the door, and Rothschild said, "I'm Rothschild, and I was told to give you, you know." hundred rubles or something like that. A lot of money. And then and and he gave it to the guy and then left and he went on his way in the carriage. Obviously patting himself on the back for having done a good deed, and it was a good deed. So the story is that the recipient, the balabas, took the money and his wife says like this, This is a nice niggler. Rothschild came here just at this moment and the husband had a bad look on his face like that. And she says, What are you? What are you looking so depressed for? You just had a nice nigla, hundred rubles. and this and the, and the story is the husband says, yeah, but how much? In other words, Rothschild with the shliach, how much did he take off the top? You see, in other words, he put the spin on it, and turned Rothschild into a bad guy. So there's nothing you can do, that someone can't twist and, and, and interpret in a bad way, and therefore. You know, Moshe Rabbein had a pretty good batting record. He took the Jews out of Egypt. He split the Red Sea. got the Ten Commandments. He saved them from the consequences of the golden calf. Frankly, he saved them from the consequences of the Meraglim because they're all going to get killed. But, uh, no. You know, Moshe's a, a, a failure. He's led us to die in the desert. You see, this is a spin control, right? I said in the class before, we see this now very much in contemporary politics. You know, the people on the right wing to the left and the left wing to the right, right? I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Trump, you know, recognized Jerusalem and more importantly, in my opinion, recognized the Golan Heights as part of Israel, which is incredible. But because he was Trump, I remember all the liberal press said, eh, this way, eh, that way, you know. They, they all went to put a Micek on it because they can't stand Trump. Now, I understand they can't stand Trump, but you can't deny. This is like an unbelievable achievement pro-Israel. Yes, you can. You can deny anything. You see? Now, the right-wingers do it to the left also, to the liberals. You know, it's how it goes. It's just this, this Trump case is just so striking to me. But um, the bottom line is that whoever's in charge of the putting the, the narrative out there gets the control. So Moshe Binu in the hands of, of Korah, looks like a loser or a tyrant. And we all, you know, he said, Moshe's taking this and Aaron's taking that and and, and some are taking that. I'm sure you're familiar with all this midrashim. and they've spoken about every Torah. And he spun it in a certain way. And of course, what really was going on was that he and the 250 figured that they'll replace Moshe and Iron and their team. So it was a political campaign. And uh, of course, the language he uses is the language of every politician. But, uh, you know, he wasn't having in mind that everybody will become a coin god. There's only room for one of us. And he's not in mind that everybody offered a katar, there's only room for, you know, one. But he sounded like, you know, I'm in favor of everybody. And it got everybody hit up, And we all know what happened. Uh, it's demagogic in the cynicism, because it proves, as always, the Oylem is a goylem, even though we're talking about the Am Yisrael and the Dorodeya. But they proved to be an Oylem a goylem, because according to Chazal, and it depends how you read the Besukim, Karach won in the public esteem. He got everybody convinced that they should all make an uprising and depose Moses and Aaron in favor of Korach and Dos and and all that gang. Uh, which is quite amazing considering that Moshe and Aaron, whatever you want to say, had a track record. You know, even if you say, right? Even if you go along and say, like this, Moshe stole money in the Mishkan, Moshe did this and the Kriza, but he did the Mishkan. And they built the, and they did the Kriya's Yonsef, and they got everybody out of Egypt. You understand? Even him Moshe had an amazing track record. What kind of track record did Torah have? He made money in the stock market, that's all. You know, You know. what kind of track record did he have? Now, uh, and he had a job, you know, from the Nose Oren, which was a very cushy job, but it wasn't good enough for him because he wasn't satisfied being chairman of the board. He wanted to be president. We, we, we know this. What's always cynical to me, you know, and, and the Torah puts it in there because it's a uh, it's a permanent feature of life, the Olym is a gun. They all went along. You know, they got all heated up even though they weren't going to gain anything by it. You all remember that famous, again, Medav Rabba. why did Om Ben Peles' his wife drug him and prevent him from going to the meeting? Because she said, you're a dummy. You were a schlepper under Moshe. You're going to be a schlepper under Karach. You're not going to get a job. Korach will get a job. The 250, some of them will get a job. You're not going to get a job, right? So this is just an interesting phenomenon to me. You see, even nowadays, the people will send money to political candidates who are a lot richer than themselves. When Rockefeller, when I was a kid, Rockefeller ran for, pre- for president. There are people who send him money for his campaign. Let me get this straight. <laughs> You're sending money to Rockefeller? Why? He shouldn't spend his own money. And by the Democrats, people send money to Kennedy, JFK. And all these other type of guys, even though they're a lot richer than you are, you know, or Malcolm Forbes. It's ridiculous. But that's how politics goes. Kovach is about the Aristotelian concept of the polity and the politics, and it shows you the smartness of people and the dumbness, if I can use those words. And what's interesting is that, uh, uh, as is always the case, you know, uh... Karp was an alienated, alienated member of the upper class. That's the ones who always make the revolutions, not the members of the lower class. And he suborned uh, the other elites, even though the other elites had a pretty good situation going on over there. Because they say that among the 250, it's a Rashi, is it? Or is it it's a Medrash. It's a Medrash, I think. That among the 250 were the people who offered the uh, uh, the uh, carbonus you know, you, know, you know, what we did in and the Parshish Noso. So all those people were part of the adas Korach, which seems to include Nachshon ben Aminodo, which for some reason really bothers the from interpreters. There is a medrash like that in, uh, I know I talked about this in the past, in the Tanchumab. There are other places that say Nachshon died in a different situation. But the Menashen Tachum, I think, says that Nachshon was one of these uh, uh, Adas Korach, which really is fascinating because um, he was the sister of Aaron's wife. So, right? He, Aaron's married to Shava So, uh, if that's the case, um, then uh, somehow or other, Korach got even the Nachshon who was sitting pretty, I mean, his sister was the high priest's wife, but he said, you know, um, I'll get you a job, and you'll be more khashab than your than your sister. right? Because I'll take over, Aram will be fired, that was the plan, Korach would replace him, and Elishev will no longer be the wife of the Kohen Gadol, she'll be X. And my wife, Korach's wife, will be the wife of the Kohen Gadol. Which is probably why the Chazal say, so many angles to it that, you know, she's the one who had to come on in the first place. There's an old story in the Medrash that, you know, she he came back after being shaved by Moshe and she said, you look ridiculous, and she got him all hot to go and attack Moshe, which of course he did. You remember that Medrash that says uh, Chachmas Bunsa Bonsa Beisah something Yiveles Tarsena Isha Tevel Tarsena I think that's how it goes in Mishle a wise wife builds up the house, and a bad wife knocks it down. And a wise wife builds up the house, that's uh, Om Ben And a bad wife knocks it down, that's Ashes Karach. So, why would Ashes him, put him on there? Uh, well, she wanted to take over. Not Sheva right? Not the wife of Aaron. I mean, you know, she'll, she'll be the wife of the Karni So, it's like a very ugly situation that's emerging over here. Uh... I can assure you that many of them, have, so it's just interesting Naxham would be part of this. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, that was a fa- some interesting family dynamic. It's interesting, though, that there are other Mefarshim that, you know, strenuous. Uh, well, let me, I won't say other Mfarshim. in Modern, especially Hasidic polemics that I see, strongly uh, disagree that Naxham was on the, one of the uh who who went for Adas Karach. Even though the Mandrish does say that but you know um some notice they were part of the Adas Karach but there are ways of um, of there are sources, Shal I think, that uh you know, we, 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 we reject that. And it's really interesting to me. I saw in a Hasidic uh, source that he quotes, uh, a re- you know, one of those things that they put out in Israel. And they quote, The Meshachachm of all people, who takes it for granted. The Chas nachshan cannot be even imagined as being part of this conspiracy. I thought that's really cute. And the Meshachachm says, our parsha today, that, um, why did the Niseum the, the, the figure this is a Meshechachma type angle, meaning it's you know, lumdus, and uh, it's based on the idea that the 12 Niseum, um, who offered their offerings as we all know back in Pashas Naso, so one of the things they did, and they were bringing personal carbonos, you know, carbon was to bring, um. Uh, Katoris Kavakas, Asarozo, Homalea Remember that? So, uh, as Rashi already says that you know, that's an unusual Katoris because you're not supposed to do for a and only for a for a Robin. This is the only case, and they must have figured not even Avil weren't able to bring a Katoris, they died when they tried that, and we didn't, so we must be superior to them, and therefore they joined the, the rebellion. This is a, a, a cute, that's a nice. That's a nice vort right but he then goes on to say that um what's the story with this medrash that says that they um you know that they conspired that the 12 uh, Nasim among others conspired against them it couldn't have been for you talking so he just assumes nachsha must have known better but he couldn't persuade the other 11 Nazis not to join the Korah, because the others would not pay attention to what Nachshon would say, because they say, You're just Aaron's brother in law, therefore you're in favor of Aaron. And he's only trying to defend his brother in law. Right? It says, Aaron married Eliseba you know, to emphasize the the tie with Nachshin. So you can spin it in such a way that Nachshin did not join the rebellion of Korach. But it doesn't matter in the big picture because the the, the of the Kalah did. Which is why, of course, it took the most extreme and radical measures on the part of Moshe Rabbeinu to put the thing down. I always say, you know, one thing Korach in the planning sessions, in the conspiracy sessions, did not count on is that Moshe would pull a rabbit out of hat and say the ground will open up and swallow you all, and it will. And it did. You know, how could, how could you cheshman on that? Uh, and that, you know, was, was how the rebellion was suppressed. It was not suppressed by appeal to reason and argument. It was not, Moshe tried that it didn't work. It was not suppressed by, you know, negotiations. Uh, again, Moshe tried it didn't work. They see, it can only be, you know, through, um, you know, violent suppression. The only thing is it wasn't violent in the sense that, um, you know, Moshe led a fight against them, because why not? Why didn't Moshe simply say, Mila Hashem Eli, we're going to take these guys down, they're trying to interfere with me and Aaron, and Hashem is the one who appointed us, not not ourselves, and Mila Hashem Eli, who's going to join me in this fight? I mean, when Moshe wanted to, he could he could fight, right? He could fight, he could get shown aside, it's not what he wanted to do, and besides everything else, besides trying to avoid a civil war, Moshe didn't want people to say, as they said anyway, "Atem Hashem," right? That you're the one who killed everybody. Call kareva, kareva, you know, Hashem Yumas. It's all your fault. So even with the suppression of Karach, the spin was put that it was Moshe's fault. So you can't win against spin. You can't, you know, say, isn't it crystal clear that the fact that Moshe said the ground should swallow up and the ground did swallow them up, doesn't that demonstrate Moshe, Ames, or Torah? Nah, not really. You know, you could say it is this way and or you can interpret it, Moshe is murdering everybody and the guy's bloodthirsty. I don't know what they said. One thing is clear, that, you know, the end and the suppression of the uh, Adas Karach was not the end of the troubles of Moshe Armena. Okay. It was not an end of the troubles and the people bursting and complaining. Which is why it's always fascinating to me that after the story of Korach, you have a little bit of interruption with the Truma, you get to Parshish um, Chukas and it's over. It's over. Because you just have Pardum and then it's 40 years later, 35, 39 years later. So we don't know what kind of junk Moshe Ben had to put up in the aftermath of the Adas Korach. That people complain against them, not complain, that's the reason why, in my opinion, the Chazal makes such a big deal of saying B'nai and they say Moshe and all that stuff because the Chazal are trying to say that, you know, the, the, the rebellion of Karech was put to bed. It stopped with the, uh, you know, crushing of, 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 I mean, the swallowing of Karech uh, Um Okay, you know, could be, but, uh, you know, I wonder, I wonder. Uh, they they don't want to say, you know, that the Korach business went on and on and on. Um, and indeed, as i pointed out in the past, the B'nai Korach, the ones who survive, become one of the most important tribes in Israel among the levies They compose X number of Tehillim, as we know. Uh, a lot of those Tehillim are very Korach-oriented, like, don't count on your money, Psalm 49 that we say to shiva House, you know. <laughs> you know, with <laughs> Well, it's not exactly true. Korach took it all with him. But <laughs> mose The his, he was a, the millionaire's dream. They buried him with a with a brink Brink's truck. You know, he it says all of his goodies went with him down into the hole. Didn't do him any good, but you know, he he really died the death of the uh of the millionaire, which means he he took it with him, right? Now, what are you going to do with it? But uh, but nevertheless, you know, nevertheless, the story of Korach, they say Korach means, among other things, you know, I mean the, the word descendants of Korach who lived on and on, but Korach the dynamics, the political dynamics of Korach never die, because they're part of the existential political entity. There's no such thing as a group that doesn't have in group and out group, and people who are benefiting by the status quo, and people who are not benefiting or less benefiting by the status quo, and every time you have people that are not benefiting by the stati- under the status quo as much as they could, it's as existentially a call, a invitation for the out group who's not benefiting as much as they could to try to you know turn the whole business over, and you know make a revolution of one form or another. The uh, uh, wisdom of politics is to so distribute the goodies out there that everybody's kind of, you know, uh, at least satisfied at a basic level. Um, you know, everybody gets their sickle cover, like one of these organizations. My wife told me years ago in the, the NCSY, everybody was a vice president. Because everybody's got a role, you know, everybody's got a title. Um, this is one of the major elements of politics with a capital P to discern what and who are the interest groups and the power groups within the community, within the polity, and make sure that the system is working for them, at least it's not working against them. But the story of Korach is a little bit against that because Korach was doing very well but he nevertheless rose, rose above his station. You understand? So if you Korach know, if, if was willing to throw the whole business over like I said last year or two years ago, what would happen if Moshe would be if Korach be successful, and you know they would depose Moshe maybe kill him, and Korach would take over? Great, now you're stuck in the middle of the desert. Hashem picked Moshe and pick Korach, so they get rid of they get rid of Moshe. Let's say they shot him, they they killed him. Well, the man doesn't fall. The bear Miriam isn't there. You guys want to be on your own? Good luck to you. You want to go back to Egypt? You're too far away to be making back in time. If you have no food and water, how are you going to make it back to Egypt even? You don't realize how dependent you are in your exposed situation in the desert. What if I, God, remove the clouds of glory and all the rest that's protecting you and you're exposed to the Arabs and all the rest of it? You see? Hester upon him is a call it, technically. Uh, what, what, what's the plan then, Korach? Uh, you know, now I don't know. Did he, have a, he couldn't have had a plan for three million people. So, when you have these ideas in consideration, the story of Korach uh, causes endless fascination in terms of humanism, how, how the human being thinks and operates. And in my opinion, that's why Rashi says, Parshat Zigaf, in the, the Um At least that's what I think this year. Anyway, uh, this is long enough. I went too far. Uh, I want to thank, once again, the Goldbergs, Mr. and Mrs. L- L- Goldberg. I don't have anybody yet for the Haftorah, but I'm hoping by the end of the week, somebody will step forward for the Haftorah. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www. support dot Rabbi